Podcast, the weekly pseudo-accurate roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts Wayne and Katya and Monica. I was going to say Hannah, but Hannah's not here. Hannah, okay, we'll explain that in a moment. And temporarily taking Hannah's spot, Stephanie. Hey, Steph, welcome back. Hey there, thank you. <laughs> hey, everybody. Hey. Hey there, Hello. Wayne. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so, this is, oh God, it's the end of, well, no, I, I forgot, podcast time travel. Happy New Year, everybody. It is. Happy New Year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yay. Yeah. Ooh, it, it's 2023. Yeah. We're all still recovering from, from New Year's. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's totally a thing. Yeah. Okay. So we recorded this a few days before New Year's, as we always do, right? When we do these. And this is one of my favorite shows to do every year. It's the last show of the year as we record, but it is our Things You Missed episode, which we started doing like first year of the show where we thought, hey, instead of doing a recap where we talk about our favorite moments, let's talk about all the moments that we didn't get to in the year. And Hannah pointed out that like the thing that she missed most was her family, who she hadn't seen in, like two years because of COVID. So she went to go visit her family and just couldn't be here. <laughs> so that's where she's at. So Stephanie graciously stepped in to take her spot as as a retrospective reviewer for the year 2022. And he actually gave me enough time to prepare, I think. So I did at least some research. So it was kind of interesting, like going back in my Facebook feed and seeing what I had done all year, because like some of it I had forgotten. So it's kind of a nice opportunity to do a retrospective. Because yeah, it's not, okay, this is not necessarily the best stuff of 2022. It's stuff we individually like, right? And this is always, I always have to point out, the joy of this show is that if you go back a few years, this is the show that brought to the Vox Pop listening audience the joy that it's man versus bear. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yes. That's true. Good point. I think I feel like every year now, I think of like, what was the man versus bear of this year? And I don't have one this year. Yeah. So unless somebody else does. No, that's hard to live up to. Right. I think that's the thing is that we peaked and it's never going to, we're never going to achieve that again. There was the bear, but that's not really what you're talking about. I mean, this is like, it's one of those things. It's like, uh, you know, it's like drugs, right? Like you, you know, it's never as good as the first time you spend the entire rest of your life chasing the dragon that is man versus bear. They could make some other animal or something. I, I, I don't know. It wouldn't be the same. It'd man just be, versus it'd just be like this derivative. Alligator. Yeah, man versus lion. Everybody like, oh, such a ripoff. You, you just like. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so if listeners, somehow you have gotten through your life without watching man versus bear, do that. It. <laughs> it is so yeah, amazing. Yeah. Only, if you do nothing in 2023, make that <laughs> all the resolutions about your health, finances, personal <laughs> life, don't matter. Watch Man vs. Bear. Man vs. Bear. Bear is, a, I think, great resolution because then the bar is low. You could knock that out in a weekend and, like, feel great about yourself. Okay, so just before we start the recaps, I just want to, you know, predictions for next year because I wanted to, I want to give a brief box office update before we even get to the box office game. Wayne, a few episodes ago, you me- you mentioned on air that, you know, you believe <laughs> that in the box office game, all of us are going to be chasing, you know, what will be the greatest movie of 2023. Yes, Cocaine Bear. Yes. Cocaine yeah. Bear. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, there we go. And I even said on that episode, I was like, that looks I, really I mean, funny. Like Katya, with who famously tries to put as little work into the game as possible. I'm not sure you're even aware of the film Cocaine Bear, but no, but I'm excited about it now. From just the title, was, 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 <laughs> yes. Considering um, my entire strategy is to pick all of the things that look like Godzilla movies and then other stuff that I've just vaguely heard of. Okay. This sounds like it's in the Godzilla movie category, therefore I want it. Okay, so it is based on a true story. Great. This is the story of what. What if a bear did some cocaine? That's the movie. 
people decide that they were going to give a bear cocaine? No, 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 no. No, he found like a brick that had fallen out of some illegal act of luggage. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And snorted it because he's a bear. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so now you just have people in the woods running from a bear on coke. That's the movie. <laughs> I'm like amazing. very concerned about this bear's welfare, but also that sounds like a film. I don't know what yeah. that says about me as a person. I'm not going to think too hard about that. Just, just make sure protect your picnic basket. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the tagline for the movie. <laughs> I will be upset. <laughs> so anyway, that's a future film. And this will not be a thing you miss because I'm sure we'll devote like four or five episodes. Episodes to discussing cocaine. Bear. Uh, <laughs> oh, see, now I want to. Now I want to see the show Man versus Cocaine Bear. I oh want to match up. Can the world survive? <laughs> like, I mean, modern rendition of Cocaine Bear. So, so if the guy would get yeah, exactly. If you don't die, you win. It's going to be the one against the regular rendition of like her songs, right? <laughs> well, there, there's that thing in, in Man versus Bear where the bear is eating, and you're trying to eat all the same thing he does. The same thing. You just yeah. Two massive, two massive piles of cocaine, and see who can do the most. You're the bear. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, oh, wow. This is your first yeah, episode people... of Vox Populorum. Welcome. <laughs> 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 okay. Actually, fairly indicative of what you can yes. expect. Well, anyway, we'll get back to cocaine bear in the coming weeks, I'm sure. But I just wanted to point out, as it, just as we record, this is the most exciting our yearly box office game has been. Now, as the listeners listen the year is over and so a champion of the box office has been crowned but we don't know who it's going to be right now as hmm. we listen and i was talking with i was our, supposed to get a crown where's my crown you might be you I mean, we don't know so here's where it's coming up right because i was talking with with the protagonist podcast where we stole the game from the box office game and they are excited as well because usually by the end of the year you know the last couple of weeks of the year you know who's going to win the box office game but right now we are in a dead heat katia you are in first place i am um, $74 million behind you and you've got one film that's making money. Black Panther, World of Wakanda is still making a little bit of money in, into the box office. And I have Avatar 2 and I have Puss in Boots, Last Wish, both of which are making some money. Puss in Boots making far less obviously, but still making some. It is going to be a dead heat. Usually it's a couple hundred million dollars between first and second place. We are at below $74 million with half a week to go. And since it's Avatar 2, I could potentially make it up. So we won't know till the first show of the year you know, for us, you know, which one of us won. But it's probably going to be either Katya or I, unless, you know, unless like $400 million worth of people see Wayne's final movie till in this last week of the year. And <laughs> Which could be the feel good movie of the season. Yes. <laughs> also, though, I have conflicted thoughts about this because one, I want to win. Mm-hmm. Even though I am put the least amount of effort to this of anyone alive, including people who don't actually play this game. We also established in 2020 that the only way it is possible for me to win is if, like, literally the planet is in mass disarray. <laughs> so if I win again, I am concerned well, about what that foretells. I don't think the I don't think the disarray. It's not like the pandemic ever ended. You know, it, things are just weird, and they're going to continue being weird but it is so tight right now Katia winning does not seem to reflect well upon I'm gonna gonna interject that Katia is winning in the year that she also picked Morbius let's just remember (laughs) (laughs) but anyway 
anyway, we're going to catch up on all that next week. So that's just a preview for the viewer. But this is like not blockbusters mostly. And it might not necessarily be films. This is media or things the five of us have enjoyed throughout the year. And they were not necessarily properties or books or films or TV shows that, you know, that screamed, hey, we should do a whole episode on this. You know, like the way we might, you know, we like last week we did a show on Andor, on, on which which was delightful. But none of you listening at home, none of you missed Andor. If you didn't watch Andor, it's because you didn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so this is this is things that we enjoyed. And Monica, do you want to start? Yeah, I do, actually, because one of the movies that I wanted to talk about, I feel like is in pretty good conversation with a movie that I think Mav, you and Steph saw and no one else did this year. Mm-hmm. And the movie that I want to talk about is Triangle of Sadness, very mm-hmm. specifically Sit Against the Menu, right? Because mm-hmm. both of these are films that are having a lot of conversation about class and capitalism, right? And so I'm interested if the menu made your list at all, because Triangle of Sadness absolutely made mine this year. So Triangle of Sadness won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, which means, you know, maybe people saw it, but probably most of the people who saw it were in Europe. So so I do think it is worth bringing into the public awareness. It is so incredibly funny, um, especially if we are going to put it in conversation with someone like James Cameron and Avatar and Titanic, because there are almost shot for shot recreations of the sinking of the Titanic within Triangle of Sadness, except instead of water, it happens to be sewage from inside the boat because too many people shit themselves. And if that doesn't talk you into watching this movie, I don't know what will. I have heard of it. I have heard of it. I have not seen it. Well, okay, so of course I've heard of it because I follow, you know, the film festival circuit, but I've not seen it yet, so. Yeah, I know I saw a trailer for that, like Mm -hmm. my one trip to the Manor Theater this year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One of our locals that shows smaller independent films. It's interesting than I I thought it would be because despite being a European production, it's all in English and it's starring Woody Harrelson. So it it seemed like it would have been able to make the jump to the American market pretty easily and yet seemed, like you mentioned, Wayne, as really only hitting the art house scene. Haven't heard of it. By the way, I do have the menu. Well, yeah, yeah. So Triangle Sadness, just for the listeners, it only grossed four million in the U.S. So it had a worldwide box office of seventeen point four, which is you know not great on a fifteen million dollar mm-hmm. budget, but but like it's an indie film, so a lot of this is going to be made up in in streaming reviews. So I am looking forward to it. I, I will catch it. What? It's a comedy slash drama. That's right. According to this, <laughs> yeah, um, indie yeah, films are shot for shot recreation of the Titanic, but with shit not, yeah. an indicator <laughs> that it might be a comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a comedy drama. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I want to see it. Yeah. So is the menu on your list? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's the only, in fact, the only movie that's on my oh. roster. Yeah, Steph and I went and saw the menu. Just like a month a ago. A month or so ago. Yeah. Um, loved it. Yeah, it was my favorite movie by far, I think, of the year. I went through all of the movies that we saw. Yeah, it was just very, like, kind of chilling. Like, I was, my body was, like, tense throughout the entire movie, aside from the kind of dark humor part of it. It was pretty funny. But yeah, it was just so, I don't know, it was such a good thriller, I thought. And this is Ray Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy star in this. And actually a very big, you know, sort of ensemble cast, but they are the, certainly the main two. Do you want to give the basic premise of the... Yeah, so this renowned chef, I guess he, did they meant his Michelin rating? Anyway, he's very renowned. He lives on an island and all of his kitchen staff also live on this island and they make their money by people spending like thousands and thousands of dollars on a single meal. So they ship them out to the 
island and they take tour of the island and are shown the sleeping quarters of staff. And they eventually get to sit down and they have a bunch of different courses and chef comes out and explains each course. And there's a very kind of sardonic, is that the right word? Woman who's the sort of the head of the restaurant who, yeah, who basically puts everyone in their place when Mm. they do anything wrong (laughs) and anything could be like anything. So I, maybe that's part of the reason I felt (laughs) so stressed out watching the movie, but she was just so funny in how she would put down these people and they were mostly, well, there were a lot of people who were just portrayed as very kind of like snooty. snooty, Yes. (laughs) And yeah, both, both food critics and just foodies, uh, rich foodies and in the main character. And yeah, she plays the the date of this guy who we find out later he was going to bring his fiance, but his fiance broke up with him and he brings her along and she's protagonist of the story. And she, so I won't say anything else, but it's just very chilling and you know, things are not going to go well. (laughs) When I told my mom I was seeing it, she's like, Oh, are they going to serve humans on the menu? And I was like, Oh, I didn't think, I didn't think of that. You're probably right. (laughs) But anyway, you have to watch it and see what happens. um, I wouldn't say it's a horror movie. It is a, there are horror elements. It is more of a suspense thriller. This is very much the kind of thing that Hitchcock might've made. You can, you know, from what Steph said, you can probably guess some beats of what this will be, but it is, uh, it is very much a suspense thriller and it is a meditation on class conscious. It is quite impressive, sort of, you know, very a critique of, of class and late stage capitalism and the idea of high culture versus low culture and, you know, performativity in liking things. It is, it is brilliant. It's, it is really well done. And, you know, I, I think when we were going to see it, Monica, you actually texted me saying, let us know if it's good. And I was like, well, this is definitely going to make the end of the year list. So. And I wouldn't be surprised if Ray Fiennes was nominated for Best Actor. Maybe supporting. Saying I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. He, he, he might he, not, yeah. but he is, it is, he is very good in the role. Yes. Do you so. believe that Anya Taylor-Joy has already received a nomination for her part? Oh, okay. Golden Globes. The, she's a Globes, yeah. 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 I think so. She's certainly under, she's certainly, I know, in the mix of the, in the considerations for her role. So, I, yeah, if you haven't seen it, I definitely rec- recommend it. It's also got Holt plays her date. John Leguizamo is in it. He's very good in it. John Leguizamo, who's having a hell of a year. He is also in Violent Night, which I considered for my list, but took off. Violent Night, just I'll mention it very briefly. If you've not seen Violent Night, this didn't come up during our Christmas show a couple weeks ago, but, but I saw it for that. If you've ever like wanted to say, what if it was a movie about Santa Claus, but it was a Santa Claus with a very particular set of skills, and it was just, <laughs> what if Santa Claus you know, was like doing a take particular set of skills yeah. is that yes, the... yes. okay great that's, yes that's cool. yes exactly it's taken but starring santa claus as played by uh, david harper it, very good but john leguizamo is also in that he's he had a hell of a year this year it was kind of a career resurgence but yes in the menu he is very good judith light from who's from who's the boss is in this really good film. yep so, so yeah I, I would definitely say uh, see the menu as well i can't compare them to to triangle i can't compare triangle of sadness in the menu because i've not seen triangle of sadness yet but i am looking forward to it because of the similar themes. So I will say that uh, Triangle of Sadness is a much more purposely satirical take, but it is very much about narrative of selling out within capitalism. So to mm. see them take on these two very similar <sighs> themes mm-hmm. from such different perspectives is the reason that I felt like it's worth seeing both because I think that they are really truly having a conversation with each other, which isn't something that you usually see with films when they come out, right? There's always sort of, mm-hmm. there used to be that, that Pixar dream works where it was like, oh, I heard
heard that like sharks are big this year and we're going to get <laughs> shark movies. Right. There's not necessarily usually films that feel like they're having theoretical conversations with one another. And mm-hmm. that for me was the reason that it was so interesting to see both of these films come out in the same mm-hmm. year, especially sort of post pandemic when we've, we've really kind of deconstructed a lot of the myths of consumerism or capitalism when we're at home without needing any of those things or without being able to show any of those things or spending all of our time online pretending that we still need all of those things. So, so it just felt like in particular, like this year was timely and relevant for both of those conversations to be happening. And so that's why I was really happy to see that made my list, but also your list on that one stuff. I I understand predatory animals on drugs are big this year. (laughs) (laughs) Wayne, did you have any films this year? Uh, Just a couple. I don't, as usual, I don't see nearly as many movies. I was racking my brain if I saw anything that was more off the path. Most of what I made at the theaters for this year were the obvious blockbusters. We didn't talk about it on the show. I picked it in my box office game. I did like Nope a lot. I like George Gill in general. I like the style. I don't think I like this as much as the previous two, and I can't Mm. put my finger on exactly why that is. I still think it's well worth seeing. I just, I just very fond of his very much style. It it is probably doing on par, just sort of acclaim wise, with what Us did. A lot of people didn't like Us. I liked Us a lot, and I actually, I think I liked Us better than I liked Note. But I very much enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I when I say it, my least favorite of the three done by very small degrees, and that just I can't even say. And maybe it's just because the first two I went in without the expectation that maybe this one because I like first two so much my expectation mm-hmm. level was higher therefore I was more judgmental of it. I don't know but it's still worth seeing so that's one another one coming as no surprise to anybody who listens to the show or knows me is the Bowie documentary Moon Age Daydream yes um, uh, I was wondering it, if that was going to make us yeah and I will say you know it's, I mean straight up I'm a Bowie fan I really enjoyed it but I heard some complaints about it that I don't disagree with you go into it knowing nothing about Bowie's <laughs> history you're not going to come out of it knowing a lot about his history it is not a very linear film. It is an amazing visual. You know, his song from way back when, Sound and Vision. It's an amazing treat. I like his music, the, their, their new takes on a lot of the songs. Visually, it is stunning. If you do know his history, events are presented chronologically, roughly. But what I liked about it was you would see clips of stuff from him from like 1975. Mm. But you would hear narration from him. And there was no omniscient narrator. All of the narration was taken from interviews with him. So they would show a clip of something from 1975, then you would hear narration from an interview he did in 1998 talking about 1975. So there right. was this weird amorphous quality to the time of the film. You would get his commentary on stuff from the moment. You would also get commentary from years later where he was saying things like, yeah, I was doing a lot of coke right then. So, so it gave a really I thought, nice retrospective of his career and his music, but a lot of it recontextualized just with his own commentary of how he grew as an artist, how he viewed a lot of his earlier stuff. So yeah, so I'd like to say, if you're going and looking for a linear documentary to tell you the Bowie story, this is not it. Um, yeah, I've heard it described as not really a documentary. I mean, it yeah. is a documentary, but it is also, yeah. it is more of a visual exercise in sound, and it is more of a, why don't we, it's not telling you the story of Bowie so much as telling you 
you the vibe of Bowie? Yeah, that- yes, very, yeah, very much so. I think that's a mm. fair way of putting it. Yeah. So, and if you know mm. that stuff, you pick up on it, know the backstory of things, uh, things that are alluded to, all of that. But, but it just, it's, as a fan of his work, his music, it's, it looks beautiful. It sounds great. Mm. So. Oh, by the way, Ray Fiennes was nominated for Best Best Actor for oh, Golden okay. Globe. Globes, for the Globes? Awesome. Yeah. I have a couple of films, one of which is a documentary as well, that, that I'm not sure if anybody would have watched. I know Steph has seen at least part of one of them because she watched it with me. So I'll do the one that Steph saw part of first. And it was Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, which, did you watch the entire thing with me, Steph, or just the last? Yep, I watched oh, the whole thing. It? Okay, it's, this movie is 70 minutes long. So, so there's no excuses. You absolutely should go and watch Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes tonight. I believe you can find it on Amazon Prime. This is a 70-minute Japanese film, so it's got subtitles if you don't speak Japanese. And it is a, I don't know if I call it a time travel story. It is a man who owns a cafe, and he discovers that for reasons that he can't explain, there's a time portal that connects the television his cafe to his iMac in his room. But it's connected with a two-minute delay. So if he's in his room, he can see two minutes into the future in the cafe. And if he goes back into the cafe, he can see two minutes into the past in his room. So that's the time travel. Like, he can't travel. He can just talk to the past, but only two minutes ago or two minutes from now because, you know, that's how the portal works. And then, and then I'm going to give away the, uh, like, the next part of the premise, even though this isn't in the commercial, but this is going to be needed in order to make you watch more of it because that's the premise that you get from the commercial and it was enough to make me watch it. But from there, he discovers, wait a minute, what if rather than, since I can only see two minutes into the future, and they don't question this, he and his friends figure out that it's two minutes into the future and they realize, but if we go and we get the IMAP and we put it right in front of the TV and we have them face each other, then since since the computer will see the TV, which will see the computer, which will see the TV, we can create a tunnel, a drosty effect, and we'll be able to see rather than two minutes, we can look two minutes into the future and then look at the TV in the back of that and look two minutes into that future and two minutes into that future. So theoretically, we can look infinitely down the time corridor by just like looking into the television. Yeah, yeah, by recursively looking into the television, the TV, and we can use this for riches and stuff. But like, you know, the problem is every as you go into the future, everything gets smaller and smaller down the corridor because, you know, that's how that's what happens when you point your, you know, when you point a, a video camera at a television that's broadcasting, the, that's what you get. Right. So that's the premise of the film. And and by the way, they did everything in like one continuous shot a la Birdman or 1917. So so, wow. so it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy of them. Now, obviously, it's not really shot. It, I mean, even more so than other things like, you know, like Birdman, it's fake. Right. But even more so than something like Birdman or 1917, you know, it's fake because necessarily it had to be in order for them to appear in the past and in the future at the same time. But the brilliance of filming for something that was clearly filmed and you could see in the credits they show behind the scenes, it's clearly filmed in an actual diner using iPhones as the camera. Like the quality of this is not great, but the editing and the acting and the premise make it just a thoroughly engaging 70s. Steph, you, did you, would you like it or? Yeah, I spent too much of my time like worried that they would mess things up. <laughs> I guess I get easily stressed out <laughs> in movies, especially. But yeah, so like they have just constantly checking, okay, did they do this two minutes in the past or two minutes later? And then they themselves have to kind of conform to what they did, you know, in the past to mm-hmm. so they don't defy the, you know, yeah. timeline. Yeah, there's oh yeah, all the regular questions of, oh, will we break the space-time continuum? They're also in there, but like it is just it was surprising to me that and now this is obviously a 
much smaller movie than Everything Everywhere All at Once, which we've talked about on the show. But in a year where, you know, multiverses just sort of became a thing for everybody with all the Marvel movies and with Everything Everywhere, for this to happen in this little tiny movie as well, this is just a thing that I guess people are very invested in right now. I don't know. <laughs> so. I, okay. <laughs> Background of rules of this episode. I technically have a movie, but it didn't come out this year, but I watched it this year. If it's new to you, then you've missed it prior to this year, too. I, this is a film that, like, it's not a, this is not a spectacular piece of filmmaking. I don't think it's got, like, a six on IMDb. But it is fun. It is a multiverse thing. And, it, yeah, it was new to me. Called Dave Made a Maze. Uh, and if you are, and if you are I, like me, and you enjoy I've heard whimsical it. I've not seen stuff, it. Yes. And if you have heard of, if you are like me, and you like whimsical things that are just unabashedly, like, kind of dumb, but also great, this is that movie. Without spoiling it too much, Dave makes a maze out of cardboard in his uh-huh. apartment. Yes. And then, like, ten people become trapped in it. And it's bigger. And Doctor Who style, it's bigger on the inside than on the outside. It is bigger on the inside. If I tell you much more than that, it'll ruin it. But it's also, I think part of the reason I enjoy it, A, I think it's a fun film. Like, it's just, like, it is a fun film, and it is, and it's a parody of, like, horror kind of, like, slashery things. There's a minotaur. Mm-hmm. It's great. Actually, I have not seen it. I'm of the understanding that it's not actually scary so much as funny, even though it's no, a horror movie. it's goofy. Like, it is a, it is meant to be, like, a silly movie. It's not scary at all, unless you are freaked out by enclosed spaces made in cardboard. So, there's that. <laughs> yeah, the entire set of cardboard. The Minotaur, yeah, the bad guy, the Minotaur, is played by John Hennigan, also known as Johnny Nitro. He's a professional wrestler, who I don't know personally, but I know people. So, you know, my understanding is you never see his face in the film, because he is under a Minotaur mask the entire time. I don't believe so, but it's been a while. I think also yeah. the other thing I like about it, and this is actually vaguely a connection to video games, is that it reminds me a lot of, like, the trend in gaming, which I think was at least popularized, I don't, but I don't think it was the first game that did this, by Little Big Planet. If you guys remember that, yes. like, first was that one, like, back in, I think it was, like, 2007, 2008, somewhere in there. Yeah, I love that game. And mm-hmm. it reminded me a lot of that, of, like, this, like, arts and craftsy aesthetic mm-hmm. as, like, like, and that became, like, a, that it continues to be, actually, like, an aesthetic within gaming that's not, well, not, like, super common. It definitely is there. There's Paper Mario and stuff like that, too. And it was, like, kind of cool to, like, see that in a more, like, film context. Mm-hmm. Everything is made of cardboard, and it's actually kind of amazing. Like, I think part of what I enjoyed was just seeing all the weird stuff they had built with, like, out of crafting materials. But yeah, they made a maze. I also don't really want to build a cardboard fort in my house. <laughs> so I'm going to throw in a movie that's, it's not quite a multiverse movie, but it kind of is. So it was the Russo Brothers movie this year, The Gray Man. And I'm going to okay. make an argument that it's multiverse because it's Russo Brothers who do Marvel. It's also multiverse because it's Chris Evans playing a bad guy in a tight sweater. And sold. <laughs> I, I was going to say, really, do we need more than that? I loved Gray Man. I'm going to say that the reason it didn't get the buzz that it probably should have is Gray Man was absolutely a movie that should have been in the cinemas and yet was released mm. on Netflix. The entire uh, time yeah. I was watching it, I was like, these lighting schemes and this cinematography is absolutely phenomenal. And I'm not getting to appreciate it at the level that I should because I'm watching it on a 24-inch television inside my French Airbnb. Right? Like, this movie was a fun, action-packed, like, if you like foreign movies, Mm. like, Gray Man is for you. But it's also Chris Evans, like, really leaning 
leaning into the amount of fun that he seems to have when he gets to play a villain and the amount that he enjoys like I, I don't know being a dick in really tight pants and I like watching him in really tight pants and you like watching also, a dick in really tight pants yes, yes I mean, we, we, that that's, is, that's why I heard track, you <laughs> it, it is also Ryan Gosling and so for fans of Rive I feel like it's Anna de Armas for anyone who loved Anna de Armas in the most recent Bond movie there's just something okay. that is so incredibly fun about my thrillers that I feel like the Russo brothers captured really successfully and this was just a really enjoyable blockbuster watch for me that I felt like did not receive enough attention this year. I have one that I think I don't think it ever could have been a blockbuster. This is a film though that I think probably should have been should have had a big wide release should have gotten a lot of press. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie and I don't think I've heard anybody else talk about it so Emergency. I don't know if anybody even familiar with the film Emergency it came out My first this year. thought was, do you mean ambulance? And then I was no, like, I, no. Which, no, <laughs> no. No, 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 I did. Well, okay, so I did. I have seen Ambulance and Ambulance is probably my favorite Michael Bay movie in at least a decade. It was, you know, my it's an Ambulance is a movie that should have come out in 1996 and it is peak Michael Bay. It does not care. I very much enjoyed myself the entire time Ambulance was on. It's not good, but no, this is not Ambulance. Ambulance is not the film that, I, that I'm referring to. The movie Emergency, 2022, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is available on Amazon Prime, I believe. It was in Sundance in January, came out on Amazon Prime in May, and then no one ever talked about it again. Here's the premise. There's these two guys, two black guys. It's senior year in college. It's spring break week, and their plan is, hey, you know, we're going to do this bar crawl, the legendary bar crawl. It's a challenge to make these seven parties or bars and bars in one night and everybody it's like a thing that people try to do and they're, we're going to complete the legendary before we graduate all right sweet that's the premise except that before they can go on the legendary they're going home to like get on their cool party clothes and pregame with a little bit of drinking whatever before they go out and they walk in their front door and passed out in their living room in a pool of her own vomit is some girl that they do not recognize and they're like holy shit what's going on <laughs> and they're like who is that is she dead they go to get their roommate who's a Mexican guy who was playing video games in his room with his headphones on so girl is or how she got there. So now they're like, okay, do we want to call the cop? Try to explain why there is a half-naked girl that we do not know in our living room. So we don't know if she's on drugs. We don't know if she's drunk. We don't know if she's living or dying. What do we do in order to, you know, how do we solve this situation? That is the question. Because in a world where they're like, well, well clearly we got to call 911. But they're like, but if we call 911 and we tell them there is a what looks to be an 18 year old girl we guess that we don't know when she's passed out you know in her underwear in our apartment how do we explain that to the cops we're going to get shot and it is a very real fear of theirs how what's the right thing to do in the black lives matter world and at the same time the girl's sister and friend are also looking for her and they don't know where she is and that's the premise of this of the show like you know why didn't you call the cops or should you call the cops what should, what should you do in an emergency like this and then they kind of go on like you know a weird there's it's a comedy but also a drama like it's trying to do important social commentary but it's funny it's legit funny with this ridiculous
ridiculously scary, you know, sort of thing that could totally happen. I would recommend it. I'm trying to not give away because then one of the thoughts is one of their thoughts is, well, wait, based on how she's dressed, because she's there, they knew that one of the parties they were supposed to go to was caught in ABC party. Any of them, anything but clothes. You're not allowed to wear clothes. You can wear you can wear underwear and you can make an outfit like you can wear a toga. You can wear a box around you. So based on where, how she dressed, they figure she came from the ABC party and they're like, well, she's passed out. Why don't we just go drop her off on the lawn outside the ABC party and then somebody will help her. And then it's like, but wait a minute, we can't take a passed out girl in her underwear and drop her off in front of a fraternity. This seems like a really bad idea. So they can't do that. And they're just trapped. And what do they do? So I very much recommend hmm. this film for everybody. It's, you know, it's about, it is all about the different ways in which police, re- you know, react to people and what do you do in an impossible situation? Like, it seems like the premise of the movie is setting you up to think that, no, clearly they're doing the wrong thing. You've got to call the cops in this situation, except, you know, they're probably right. If they had called the cops, would not have believed them that there is a strange, you know, girl they don't know in her underwear passed out in your living room. You know, how do you handle, how do you handle this situation? So I recommend that film to everybody. I'm, a, I'm not, I'm very much loyal any of the intrigue for it, but if no one else has seen it, I don't know much about it. And then the other film that I watched, which I enjoyed, I know stuff saw part of this with me, is a documentary called My Old School. I don't know if anybody's even heard of this. My Old School is on Hulu, was also a Sunday film this year, and it's a documentary about the true story of a guy named Brandon Lee, maybe. Basically, there's a a guy who, I don't know how much I want to ruin for you, he's a British guy who basically goes to school and everybody's like, hey, you look like kind of, you're kind of a weird guy. You look a little older than you probably should, but all right. And he goes to school and he tries to get into med school and he does for a little bit. And then things start falling apart when they realize that this guy is not actually 16. He's actually 32. And he had gone to this British prep school when he was 16 and 17. And then he failed out of med school. So 16 years later, he decides, well, wait a minute, why don't I redo this and try to do it again? And so he just enrolled at age 30. He enrolls in the same school he went to when he was like 17. And he basically tries to graduate again and tries to get into med school, pretending to be a a 17 year old once again. It's like never been kissed, but like. But real. Yeah, Yeah, but real. And and this really, and this really happened. And all the people in, they they portray all the stuff that happened when they were kids with cartoons. Because all the people who, all of his friends who were in the world with him in the 90s when this happened are, you know, now they're they're all 40. And so they're in the film now. And they're, and they talk about it. And then they, and Alan Cumming, the actor, plays, plays, plays Brandon Lee slash Brian McKinnon is his real name. And they, and he plays him trying to explain, you know, why he did these things. So it's sort of a documentary slash docudrama of this weird, unbelievably bizarre situation, which you spend the entire go- the movie going, how did no one notice that guy is clearly 30? And, <laughs> and, then, and then they interview some of the two. There are a couple of teachers who, you know, had him both times. Like they had him when he was a six, when he was really 16 and when he was pretending to be a 16 year old. And they're like, how could you not notice that it was the same student? And they're like, you know, it had been 17 years. Like, we don't have a student. It's not exactly like a, a place your brain immediately goes of like, oh, that kid looks vaguely familiar. Right. That must be the same kid. You go like, oh, that kid looks like vaguely familiar. I wonder if they're related to blah, 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 blah. Right. No, it just. <laughs> so I recommend it. I was riveted. It's hilarious. One of, one of my favorite parts in it is, this is a spoiler for the film. I laughed so much that stuff came in to check. There is a point in the film when he's at school play and he has to kiss a girl in the school play. And then she's like, yeah, it wasn't really much of anything. It was heck, you know, and then 
they show the actual footage from the, you know, someone had taken a home movie and it is an uncomfortably long kiss between a 17 year old girl and a 32 year old man. Oh, <laughs> and you're like, oh. and you're like, Ugh. yeah, not only that, but he goes in like a second and third time to kiss her. Oh, as yeah. They yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it's uncomfortable. It's really weird. And she's like, oh, I didn't. And she's like, oh, you remember it being like that. And it's like, and she's, and it's not like she's weirded out at the time. You know, she kissed him. It was like, you know, they thought, she thought he was 17. And oh. it is, it's so, like, it is cringy, but bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> That's all my movies. I have one, and it's actually a documentary to, to even Oof. us out, round us out. So this particular documentary, I'm really excited about. It is on the shortlist for the Oscars this year. It is Badass, and I would be absolutely remiss not to mention it because I actually know the director. We went to school together, and so to mm-hmm. be able to see somebody who was in my class like make it to the Oscars, I think is just the coolest thing imaginable. So it, it's such a like a Wolverine go blue. Moment. So, so <laughs> is the director, and he made this film during the pandemic about his family and about being Asian American and living in a small town in Michigan and having to combat specifically Asian American racism mm-hmm. during the pandemic because they own a restaurant. And mm-hmm. it is very personal and very thing and very moving, and also feels very timely and just so vulnerable of his family to be willing to be. And so, it's really exciting to be able to see that that vulnerability is being recognized on, on this major level. So I would say that if you want a documentary that is a little bit more of a tug at your heartstrings, that Bad Axe might be the one to check out this year. Bad Axe. Cool. Yes. Okay, cool. I'm going to check that out. All right, Cockhead, you have some games? Oh, yeah, I've got a few sort of like little cozy games, mainly two that I want to talk about. But I also kind of want to talk about cozy games in general. So we've done a couple of episodes on this before. But basically a cozy game is a chill gaming experience. Think Animal Crossing, think mm-hmm. Dirty Valley, think all that good stuff. But I want to talk about cozy games specifically, A, because that is a thing that I love, especially in times of stress, hello pandemic and the semi-post whatever era we're in. But also I've seen a lot more like discourse about cozy gaming in the last couple of years. And I think specifically in response to the pandemic. And I've seen a lot more indie studios getting into cozy gaming and a lot of it I think is a reaction you know like a lot of cozy gaming culture and adjacent games are like a reaction to AAA studios and it's not been a great year for some of the AAA studios in terms of controversy in terms of like controversies and stuff so we're not gonna go into that but cozy games specifically indie cozy games go play them go enjoy them the two I wanted to call out one is actually relatively popular I think it's mainly on Switch and I think if it's not on PC already it should be coming to PC soon but Cozy Grove made by Sky Fox is actually just acquired I think by Netflix Netflix. Netflix has a number of in-house gaming studios. We'll see what happens with that, but hopefully that means more games. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. The promise of Cozy Grove is basically you are a little scout, like a Girl Scout or whatever, going around an island helping ghost bears run errands. Aww. And you run errands for them and it builds up your island and you're basically trying to recreate this little bear town that used to be on this island. And it's so cute, like aggressively <laughs> cute. Please look it up. It's like you enjoy like Animal Crossing and the idea of like games having like a real-time component. It's a really great one because basically it re- that every 24 hours. So you basically have a set list of tasks or like things that you can go do on the island and then but it resets every 24 hours. So basically there's only so much you can actually play every day, especially mm-hmm. when you get like either yourself or your kids into a game that is time bound. There's an idea for you. But it's so cute. Like it's so wonderful. The artwork is working. This is pretty. And that's, I think the other thing yeah. is like the ambient music has done really well. The artwork has done really well. Like they thought about, like they thought about it. The gaming experience is awesome because that's one of the other 
things about like cozy games or sometimes the mechanics. Like you still need to have something that's engaging. And I've seen a lot of the smaller cozy game studios kind of fall short in that area. It's a really hard balance to make a game that is that chill, but is also still interesting to play. So yeah, it's a wonderfully done game. Go check it out. I think it's actually on sale and hopefully might still be out by the time it's out, but who knows. The other one is actually still in development. So if you have missed this, the full version is coming out in 2023. Sort of cheating. But it's called Little Witch in the Woods. Similarly adorable. I got to play the beta access version this summer and basically there's about 20, 15 to 20 hours of gameplay that they have currently. And then the full version is supposed to come later. But kind of similar. You're a cute little witch that is kind of like Kiki's. It's very like Kiki's delivery like service mm-hmm. style. You are dropped in a new town. You have to like build up the town because it has fallen into disrepair and people have abandoned it. You're just running errands and then doing cute things. And all the little critters are adorable even though you have to technically steal resources from the critters. I don't think about that too hard. And it's just like, it's super cool. And I'd love to see that there's a way more indie studios, especially ones, women-owned studios, queer-owned studios, mm-hmm. especially like, I think dominating a lot of like cozy game sphere, which I think is really cool to see. And especially like content creators. A lot of the content creators I follow on like TikTok and places that are into this genre of gaming are like very different from the stereotypical like IGN kind of less mm-hmm. fun stuff, which is great. I just want to throw out a note that it's so funny to me that real world chores suck and game chores are fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I yes. think if a tiny bear was telling me to do my chores, I might be more inclined to yeah, do that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Which, to be fair, I do have an app that I use for that. <laughs> you, have an app that you have an app with a tiny and character a cute, that tells you to do your chores? It's a little cartoon bucket, yeah. Oh my god. Wow. I need that. It's adorable. Huh. And it like tells you when your chores are supposed to happen, and then it basically like, yeah, and getting, you know, it gives you a little happy noise. The psychology mm. of how apps work, I actually fully endorse using apps. Well, like. There's this app called, I'm sure this is 412. Yeah, Mav really needs but this app, this. by the way. Yeah. So, okay, so we're adding the app category to things you missed. Hold on. So the app is called Sweepy. Currently, you have a holiday-themed soapy bucket that shows up. Which yeah. is really cute. But yeah, it like, you put in all the chores you need to do, it like times them and tells you when you should do them again. There's a cute Aww. little bucket okay. character. I would appreciate positive feedback while I'm doing chores. Me too. <laughs> when you complete stuff, it does a nice little happy ding noise. At least mine does. Yeah, I, yeah. I would like cheers throughout. If I can hey, get like, yeah. badges for doing my dick, what a badge. Yeah, you get badges. Yeah. 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 Like, you would do dishes. You would do dishes a lot more. There's actually another <laughs> one that a friend of mine used to use called Habitica that is RPG style. So you have a little character and you can like equip, like you can earn equipment by doing chores and you can build like a little dungeon crawly theme. Huh. I am all for like as a gamer whose brain responds to in-game stupid things after a great <laughs> way to manipulate that to do things in your life. So if your brain also yeah. responds to I'm very much into this. I'm going to get this later. Yeah, highly recommend. So yeah, those two are, that. I guess that's the impromptu things you missed is I really like dumb app to trick my brain into doing things. Well, can I recommend a TV show? That we, we can transition into TV shows if people want because I, I have one that is on my list specifically for Katya. This is a, this was the, uh, about this. I got a oh. teaser. We had a teaser discussion about this, so I'm very, right. I'm intrigued. Yes. Okay. So, so this is literally okay. A sense you're looking for whimsy, <laughs> you know, like just y- you obviously Weird. always, I but also, you but I mean, but like our listeners feel like probably there's points where you're like, I need more joy in my life. So, without having talked to Katya about this at all, other than to say that I that I was going to recommend something specifically for her, I'm just going to imagine Katya's childhood. Okay, so I'm going to say go back, let's say 25 years. Okay, you're like okay, seven-ish yeah. years old, yeah, and you've got a slightly older brother, right? So you know, there, there's this point, like there's this point maybe 25 years ago when you're hanging out, you know, with maybe.
maybe your brother, one of his friends, one of your friends, there's like maybe three or four of you in the house. Your parents are not there and you probably constructed a game wherein you are like, hey, what if we could get from the kitchen across the living room to the stairs, but we're not allowed to touch the ground because the floor is made of lava. You've probably played this as, game, I assume. As you can maybe suggest, maybe intuit based off of my movie selection, I we were four children. We did build lots four, so yes, this was part of our life. Okay, what if that game was a game show? What if the game, what if that was a game show? That's the whole show. My God, I think I've actually seen like ads for this. Yes, floor is lava. They've constructed, <laughs> so this is a Netflix show where they, wherein they've constructed a living room and then also a garage, maybe a master bedroom. There's like different rooms. Every episode's a different room of the house and you have to get from point A in the house to point B by hopping from furniture to furniture, but you can't touch the floor because the floor is lava. And in order to make this like really sell it, they've like replaced the floor of this, you know, warehouse where they built the sets with what looks to be kind of bubbling, you know, candy syrup or something. Because if you fall in, you sink to your death in the lava and then your partners in the game, they sell it like they like you've actually died where they're like, yeah, it's very sad if you, if you were you to fall into the lava. It is fucking amazing. I came across it and I'm like, this is so stupid. Why would anybody make this as a television show? Because and the next thing you knew, I'd watch seven like of them. Exist, the <laughs> yeah. of oh. My viewing habits is a significant enough market. It is impossible to turn off. Like, I was just like, oh my God. Oh. I mean, there's only two seasons. It started, there's only two seasons available on Netflix. I think they were both from this year or, you know, so there's probably 15 episodes and there need to be 150. Because, like, I mean, every episode is like, this is very much like a, you know, man versus bear kind of thing where every episode's exactly the same. It's just a bunch of idiots. And usually it's like, you know, the team is always like, oh, hey, we're three best friends or we're three sisters or we, you know, we work together. Or, you know, they've got some theme for their team, but it's literally like, hey, we need to get from point A to point B in the house without falling into the lava. And then, like, you're just watching this, rooting for someone to fuck up and, like, fall off into the lava and be killed. No, they're not killed. Like you see them again in the next scene when they're just carried, you know, covered in chocolate syrup or whatever. They do a good job of making them like disappear. Like yeah. you don't see them yeah. once they oh, fall. Yeah, yeah. They clearly cut once you fall. But like it is so amazing. It is just delightful in its ridiculous goofiness because they're all, you know, I, like I support these shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, you will absolutely want to watch it, and everyone else should too. Steph, you only watch. I think you only watch like one or two. Of them, no, right? I watched a few. Yeah, it was a little addictive. It's so good. I recommend it to everybody. It, it is just so is it on a scale of like I'm staring at paint drying to marble league mm. where does it sit oh, it's right it's in that marble league area I mean it yeah, is okay. <laughs> Yeah. And Baron Cocaine is probably just above that category, I assume. I mean, we haven't seen it yet, but yeah. I'm hoping. I hope it's above that category. <laughs> I, if it's not, I'm, I feel like I'm going to be really disappointed. Yeah, right. There's more to work with Baron Cocaine. Kind, do we know what kind of bear it is? I feel like that's important. It's a grizzly. I mean, I, I mean it, it's, it looks like a grizzly bear. Scenario. Great, good, yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it looks like anybody else have, have a TV show? Oh, okay, yeah. So I watched, this was actually kind of, I watched this year, but the show was actually produced in 2019 on Hulu. It's called The Many Sides of Jane, which was about a woman. I guess Jane was her pseudonym who had disassociative identity disorder, a.k.a. multi-personality disorder. And what was interesting about this series is that it actually used science to kind of prove that it that this disorder exists. Like I had been for a long time, like I like as a child, I'd read those the book 
books about lots of books on multiple personality disorder. And then there was some skepticism is suggesting that psychiatrists actually kind of implanted. If you're a first time listener, by the way, Steph is a psychologist. Like but not that kind of psychologist. But I mean, but still. I mean, I'm like, interested in it, though. Yes, yeah, yes. kind of. You're yeah, affiliated. Uh, yeah, kind of tangentially. Yeah. So yeah, then there'd been suggestions that like the psychiatrist who worked with Eve in the, and what was the movie called? Sybil. And, oh, so sorry, Sybil. Yes. Yeah, so it worked with Sybil had basically suggested all of these personalities and Sybil wanted to appease her psychiatrist. So she developed this and she was very creative and stuff. So, so then I was kind of a little, kind of a little skeptical of this, but then this, what they did in this series is they actually had her working with a Harvard researcher, psychiatrist, and the Harvard researcher convinced her to come to his lab where she, in she, he asked her to contact him when she was in her various personality states. So one of the states was a very young child and that took quite a while to to get her to like be in that childlike personality and actually be willing to undergo an fMRI in that personality so so eventually they were able to get a, a bunch of brain scans and show that there was very different brain activity associated with the different personalities so when wow. she was a child she her like the regions that are associated with emotional responses were much more activated and the prefrontal lobe and more rational centers were, were suppressed and the opposite happened when she was an adult. But yeah, that kind of, to me, kind of showed that at least in some cases, it does, certainly does seem to exist. But the other interesting thing about it was that it showed, like, I guess it's still the main treatment is to try to merge all the personalities into the core personality. And it also showed how the other personalities were reluctant to do that because they saw that is basically dying if they merged into her personality. So that kind of brought up like a little bit of a moral issue of whether, you know, that what should be the treatment for this disorder. It's called the many sides of Jane. Oh, based on, okay, got it. Because of the many sides, the many faces of Eve. Which is yeah, that's older. why I was thinking yeah. why even my got mind, it. I think. I think it's still up on Hulu. And this was, okay, 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 awesome. Hi, I have a TV show as well. I don't know that I have a great transition from that. That's hard to transition. <laughs> we'll go with, does our main character have a mental health diagnosis? Maybe. We don't know. I'm talking about inventing Anna. <laughs> hey. Oh, that was yeah. a good transition. Very good. Yeah. And I know I brought it up a few times on our show throughout the year, but I never sort of did a, we should talk about in, Inventing Anna. We should recommend Inventing Anna. It's near and dear to my heart because yeah. it is Completely the last you were recommending show that Anna. I worked on, yes, prior hmm. to the pandemic in, uh, at like a studio level. And so it's sort of more retired from, you know, working for the man. This was my last project. <laughs> and so it has a really big space in my heart as this sort of like last project and last send off. But then, you know, sometimes you work on stuff and you don't know if other people are going to like it or if it's going to be very good. Inventing Anna, people really like and it's really good. And so mm -hmm. this is one where I would actually encourage you to watch it because this was incredibly fun to put together and an incredible amount of work that I know that I mentioned when we were talking a bit about our sort of Emmy predictions that I was really mad that this didn't get a nomination because mm -hmm. we put in an insane amount of research into actually finding the clothes that the real Anna Delvey had worn to court, which were from Zara years ago. And if you have ever mm -hmm. walked into a Zara, the thing that you are looking at is not there two weeks later. Please try mm -hmm. and imagine how 
hard mm. that was. Yeah. Mm. Track mm. down all of those actual clothes off of Poshmark in the wrong size, having them al- alter them down to the actress, not receive a nomination when I just saw how much work went on behind the scenes. When we filmed at the La Mamunia Hotel in Morocco, we had to recreate the uniforms. We weren't just allowed to use the uniforms that the employees would have worn, despite the fact that like mm. the hotel probably had extras. We had to source the fabric and actually make all of the uniforms ourselves. And so there mm. was just an incredible amount of work and money that went into this show. I would show up to work every single day and I would get there at 8 a.m. And they would say, okay, we need you to ship 10 full racks of clothing to New York by 3 p.m. today. And by the way, we need a list of all of them. And if any of them are worth more than $500 each, we need to know the brand, the fiber content, the exact amount. We need you to put it in a database. And because we're Mm -hmm. looking at designer clothes, that's just every single piece of clothes that anyone is wearing on the entire fucking (laughs) show, guys. And so I'm just so proud to finally see it on screen. And I want some other people to see it on screen, too. So my recommendation (laughs) this year is please watch Inventing Anna. Make me feel so good. I like Monica. I was watching it before I I knew you worked on it. I One of the ones I was going to mention that came to an end this year was Ozark. And Mm -hmm. Julia Garner, who stars in Inventing Anna, just was, I thought, brilliant on Ozark. And I knew nothing about Inventing Anna. I just followed her over to the show to watch more performances by her. I just love that Monica did the entire, like, it's a good five-minute pitch for Inventing Anna without ever saying what it was about. It's purely just about the clothes. Between me and Katya, watching for costuming is a legitimate thing. Between me and Katya, all you really need to say is, but it's got good clothes. And we're both like, yeah, sure. It does. It's it's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. It's like this entire genre of like, especially, I assume this exists in the fashion community, Monica, but like there's an entire, in the sewing community, there's an entire genre of like TV and movies to watch that are not necessarily good. Sometimes that they are, but you entirely watch based off of the kinds of things you like though is the thing oh yeah if hannah were here she would tell you that uh, none of us watch gilded age for the fucking plot because it was a (laughs) (laughs) that is actually on my list and like i may or may not actually listen to it i'm just gonna watch pictures yeah it's because the clothes are good man because i mean i i suppose maybe you guys want a plot synopsis it's good it's based on a true story and it's about a woman who maybe i won't call her woman because the whole point is that she's a very young lady so she's in her early 20s and she manages to scam hotels bankers investors out of millions of dollars in an attempt to start an art foundation and it's really about as she sees it it's a gendered narrative in which men and especially men who work in financial sectors are sort of able to get away with a lot when it comes to getting loans or bullshitting Mm -hmm. their ways in terms of faking it until you make it as a businessman and that she feels that young women are usually not taken as seriously and so something where she wants to prove that she is a serious businesswoman with an actual business plan except the way that she is choosing to do that is by stealing a bunch of money with the intention of paying it back later once she makes it big which Mm -hmm. is obviously very illegal and Mm -hmm. is exactly why she went to jail for fraud but along the way the things that she manages to steal is like no 
know, a four month stay in a luxury hotel, private chartered plane to go visit a party that Bill Gates happens to be at because she wants to pitch him an idea. And so it's just like mm. the level of balls on this girl, something mm. that I feel like just kind of has to be seen to be believed that somebody would be able to take it so far in terms of scamming their ways out of the amounts and the social circles in which she's in, in which it is mm-hmm. a lot of people who, you know, have worked in banks their entire lives and their whole job is just to loans for people and she's able to fraud all of them. And the fact mm-hmm. that is a, whether we like admit it or not, a legitimate successful skill set that she happens to possess. Mm-hmm. So it is a very interesting, if we're going to continue to have discussions about our critiques of capitalism, another really interesting narrative to throw into the mix when it comes to fronting and keeping up appearances, right? So I watched the show that I'm sure no one else watched because this is a, this is this is totally just the kind of thing that like from the title alone you're like oh that's a show for Mav because because as everyone knows and I'm sure you can tell you, you can tell by listening to me I am a 14 year old girl and, <laughs> and I have a I have a love some of the television shows that might be produced for 14 15 year old girls and one of the ones that I very much enjoyed this season was the summer I turned pretty this was <laughs> Have you seen it? Just based on title alone, Bob. Continue. Uh Okay, so The Summer I Turned Pretty is based on a YA novel, series of novels, actually, that the premise is there's this girl. She is 16. She's biracial. She's half, I believe she's supposed to be half white, half Chinese. But it's the summer that she turned 16. Her entire life, her, her mom and her brother and her father before her parents were divorced would spend time with her mom's best friend from college and their two sons. And like they, you know, they would go and they'd spend time at their summer home. They vacation, they'd spend their summers there. Her mom's a writer, so her mom can work from wherever. And so they do their summers away, you know, at their beach house. And she has long harbored a crush on like the older brother, like since she was, you know, since she was like six or seven years old, she's had a crush on the older brother who's like 18 now. And she's, and she's 16 now. And, you know, last summer she grew boobs and like got like sexy every last year. So, like suddenly she this year at the beach he and all the other boys notice her so this is basically sort of a coming of age thing where she is just sort of she's getting used to being noticed by all the boys and like learning how to date and stuff like that and while all that's going on the rest of life is happening and she is more or less too preoccupied to sort of understand that like her brother has things going on in his life the boy she likes has things going on in his in, in his life her parents have things going on in their life and you sort of get to see all of these you know life dramas happening there's a cancer plot there's a cheating on you plot there's a like not with just one character but there's like you know everyone has lives going on and it's all played out happening at the same time as this coming of age tale and you know if so if you've listened to shows before you know that i was very much a fan of like the edge of 17 one of my favorite movies ladybird one of my favorites so it's that kind of story but played out you know with the rest of the family or the families have their own lives too. So these are things that happen the summer that I turned pretty, the premise of the show. I recommend it. I don't know if I sold it well enough. It's just, <laughs> it's quirky and interesting because I like, you know, I like stories about, you know, quirky teenage girls like me. You know, I, I don't know. I definitely recommend taking take it out. Title sounds way more superficial than it actually is. Trust me, give it a shot. Like, it's delightful. <laughs> <laughs> the acting's really good. How can you watch it? It's on Amazon Prime, I oh, believe. Okay. It might be Hulu. I lose track. I watch a lot of stuff on Apple TV and I'm not really paying attention to which service it's on. I believe that 
that's an Amazon Primer. So speaking of pretty, I have enjoyed Welcome to Chippendales. I oh, not what I thought you were going to recommend. Oh, really? Yeah, but yeah, I wanted to see Chip. I wanted to see Welcome to Chippendales. Definitely started watching it without me. <laughs> yeah, I've only gotten in a few episodes, but it's thoroughly engaging, and I just love the Kumail Nijani. He is just like so. I don't know. He's just so adorable and funny. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a comedy. Like he's a Indian native. He comes to America, and he just really wants to start his own business. And it's actually kind of inspirational and in how he's just like willing to change and do anything. And he's very sensitive to like his client's needs and he's just willing to do anything. And he notices that his, his business partner's girlfriend, like re- when they go to this gay bar, he notices how this, he notices how she reacts to the dancers there. And then that springs the idea that, Oh, he had just started a bar, but nobody showed up because it was uh, a backgammon bar <laughs> in Los Angeles. Wait, are there bars? I would bars? Yeah. Yeah. There were some people there, but not very many. <laughs> I would totally go to I guess it's not. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, but yeah, it, it, in Los Angeles anyway, it wasn't very popular. So then he was always just like looking for ideas and looking for help. And like, if you're, I don't know, if you are thinking of starting up your own business, then I think it's kind of an inspirational, at least the first few episodes. But then I think things start to go awry and fall apart. So I, I don't know if I want to watch the ending of it. <laughs> <laughs> that looks good. It, it does look good. Yeah. yeah it, it's very, yeah, it's very entertaining. I mentioned Ozark and that's something I had been on up like four seasons and I didn't start watching it till the spring. So I did my version of binging, which was watching four seasons, like two months or whatever. And I like the show. I didn't like the end. I guess it's a show that like Breaking Bad or Sons of Anarchy, you find yourself rooting for really horrible people. Mm-hmm. And here's a case where I liked the show a lot, but I wasn't rooting for them. I desperately wanted them all to die or go to jail. And the fact that I say I was disappointed in the ending lets you know that, that didn't happen. Spoilers. I guess the other one that I've been watching years that came to an end season was the, uh, the Breaking Bad spinoff that I call Saul. And it, on the other hand, I, I like the ending of it a lot. It paid off, I think, really well. I think there's a lot going on in that show. Gilligan is the producer of both of those. That's who it is. Mm-hmm. There's just, there's a filmmaking style to both Break Bad and Better Call Saul that I find really singular on TV. Just the way you frame shots, the storytelling of it. Better Call Saul played, off, played out really well. And I like mm-hmm. it a lot. One of the ongoing mysteries of this, it, just people who haven't watched either, Saul was a character in Break Bad. Better Call Saul is his backstory. The entirety of Better Call Saul is a prequel that takes place for the events of Break Bad. So you see characters that end up on Break Bad later and you get more of their backstory and some of them you know what's going to happen them. But there is Saul's on-again, off-again girlfriend Kim Wexler who is never mentioned in Break Bad ever. Mm-hmm. So one of the ongoing questions of the entire series of Better Call Saul is oh my god, what the fuck happened to Kim? And they dealt with that really well. And I, all I'm going to say is mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of, of the series for all the shenanigans, for all the drugs, for the violence, for whatever, Better Call Saul is a love story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I watched some of that and I, I really did like character of Kim. Yeah, she yeah, she was definitely my favorite character on the show. Oh. So mm. yeah. But I and that and we've talked about other shows like that, these things that run for years. And that was mm-hmm. one that was definitely interrupted by the pandemic in terms of how long it took mm-hmm. for it to end. But anyway, yeah, that that's the TV I most enjoyed this year. I didn't really discover Ozark was the new thing I discovered that I got really into. I certainly watched other shows I discovered this year. Things that I liked, but nothing that just like, oh, you my God, you have to watch them. Mm-hmm. So I yes. Like thinking of trying out Ozark, but what's the premise of it? Just quick. It's a family who father is a financial guy and he gets caught up laundering money for not the mob but from those drug lords and he's really good at it and yeah and it's just it's kind of a breaking bad in that they are mm. in many ways trapped in this situation trying to make the best of it and just trying to raise their kids with threat of and there's a lot of class stuff going on in this as well
well. I mean, he's very definitely, I mean, he makes a lot of money doing what he does, but the drug lords that he works for make billions of dollars. And then there's the, in the Ozarks where they're, they're living, there's family who, the rich family in the Ozarks who've been running the drug trade there for years, and they are wealthy and they are in charge of things, and they have no idea how tiny they are in the larger picture of the world of drug trade. To them, they are mm-hmm. the wealthiest, most powerful people they know, mm-hmm. but they're not. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Julia Garner character, her family, who are just poor white trailer trash trying to make a buck. Her big goal making money in this is to buy a house and send her cousin college. Mm-hmm. So just these layers of what it means to have enough, what it means to have money. And, and say, once again, it, to me, it was worth watching the entire season to watch Julia Garner. She was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was, I believe she won the Emmy this year. I know she won the Emmy for that show at least once. There was a scene in the final season, this like five minute scene where I literally had to pause and see if I could just find an Emmy to give her in that moment. I have several here, so I thought, you know. Now, you are kind of bringing up something that I would love to throw in as another future show idea. And I feel like it's this masquerading of like horror as like mm-hmm. being an Oscar bait thing, right? I think mm-hmm. very specifically of like Jennifer Lawrence during Winter's Bone as being like another really mm-hmm. good example of like if you are able to <laughs> if you are able to play or person that somehow becomes like indicative of you being like a good actor and I, I know that also think of something like Shameless which has been on the air for well like mm. 10 seasons right that there may be just a greater discussion about our ideas of like what are we actually saying about class when mm. it comes to this like not masquerading of a lower socioeconomic status that could be an interesting episode so maybe if we would like to do yeah. some ideas in the comments yeah we could do an episode on something like sounds like let us know in the comments like us to do an episode about the idea of of four people as as exploration four people as as fiction as i mean it's class consciousness that we're really into which is yeah. a thing that we like talking about on the show yeah and i actually mav this leads me to my one of my two book recommendations for the year which one of them is very directly about class consciousness it's a little bit of a cheat because the hardcover version did come out in 2021 the soft cover version which is the cheaper version that monica purchased came out <laughs> in 2022 <laughs> and that is the book the lincoln highway by amor Taulis. and i got really into amor Taulis's work this year i also read his other two books which are a gentleman in moscow and the rules of civility and the lincoln highway functions as a type of like we're gonna call it like a spin-off sequel to the rules of civility and the rules of civility is a very gatsby-esque new york society book about people trying to tend that they have money or who are old money families that have lost their money during the Great Depression in New York. And the Lincoln Highway is set out 20 years later and it is about sort of westward expansion and class consciousness in like the prairie parts of Americana. I just think that the way that Amortellus writes is very picturesque for me. This is the first book where he switches perspectives between characters, which worked really well and it is a story about a young boy who went to juvie because he killed a boy by mistake. He basically pushed him and then he fell over and he hit his head on a rock and died. And so it was a very series of unfortunate events type. Um, And he's been released Mm. and his parents have passed away, but he has a younger brother. And the younger brother has been receiving postcards from their mother. And he wants them to take the Lincoln Highway, which is a route across the U.S. to find their mother because he remembers and he wants to meet 
later on 4th of July because he remembers that they had a particularly significant 4th of July and he received a postcard from her that was about 4th of July fireworks. And so it's very much meant to be a road trip movie. And it's the thing that goes wrong is some of his other friends escape from juvie and end up stealing his car and driving it in the other direction across the Lincoln Highway. So it feels very, I guess, coming of age in the same way that maybe Catcher in the Rye does. I'm a really big fan of Goldfinch as a book. And this, for me, felt like it was still sort of hitting on that same tonal, same age group of like 14-year-old trying to make their way in the world as like orphans without adult supervision. So this, for me, really sort of checked all of the all the boxes um, and was not a book that I actually would have ever picked up on my own because for the most part, this isn't a time period in American history that I particularly love. This isn't an area of the country that I usually read a lot of books about. I don't usually like road trip books. I don't usually like things that read like Westerns and it sort of had all of those elements. And yet, because I really liked the author's other works, I gave it a shot. And to realize that it was a spinoff of one of his other books that I really loved was just such a surprise that I didn't mm. see coming. So this mm. for me, but you do not have to read the first book. You don't have to read Rules of Civility in order to read Link Highway, which also yeah. is great because they're so different to allow them to stand on their own. So this for me is one of the books that I read while I was sitting in France forcing myself to do nothing before grad school started. And it really <laughs> stuck with me. So so it's my high recommendation of the year. Sounds good. Yeah, you mentioned that Winner's Bone. I read that this year. Didn't have it on my list. I read it. I liked it. There's this, and maybe we'll bring this up again whenever we do that episode. There is this whole subgenre I've heard referred to as country noir or gothic country. That is yeah. lots of people living in trailers and selling meth, and, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah. The, the hillbilly uh, eulogy of it all, right? Yeah. Or even yeah, right. Uh, Cold Mountain might be a really great, like, earlier example, but I feel like mm. that book really fits into that genre as well. Yeah. No, no that sounds good, Bonnie. Thanks. I have a novel okay. and I have an autobiography, and this novel, boy, couldn't be any more different than what Monica just described. <laughs> I, it's uh, Grant Morrison, who is well-known as a comic author, done tons and tons of stuff. So because it was Grant Morrison, I felt obligated to read his novel. It's his first novel in the comics for 30-some years. His first mm-hmm. novel is called Luda, L-U-D-A, and mm-hmm. had mixed feelings about it. I liked it. I liked his writing style. Part of the problem with Grant Morrison as a comics author is I often feel like he knows more about what he's talking about than he ever is oh, well yeah. to the reader. <laughs> and there was definitely mm-hmm. some of that in this book as well, of like, I'm sure you know what's going on. I'm not sure you describe me as well. Everything as Grant's ever written. Yeah, Everything right. Grant has yeah. ever written. I say that as, for the most part, a fan of his work. Um, me too, yes. <laughs> and there's a lot in this book that I like a lot. The main character is a aging drag queen who takes a much younger new drag queen under under her arm to teach the magic of glamour. This is Grant Morrison, so when I say magic, it's magic. It's not a metaphor in mm-hmm. this world. Glamour is very much as the origins of that word come out. Glamour is a magic. And so it's very much, and there's this whole meta level thing going on. They are doing a play that's a mashup of the story of Aladdin with Phantom of the Opera where the characters in Aladdin are doing the Aladdin play and one of the characters mysteriously dies because there's someone lurking around the set that's going to the play. So eventually everyone's dead except one character who is now paying all the characters in the play. And of course, <laughs> yeah, so so that's what's going on in the play on stage. Then of course that leads out in real world where no one's really dying, but they are having accidents mm-hmm. that is keeping them off stage. So yeah, so there's the mystery of what's going on. There's the magic. There's the whole idea of glamour. 
time our insight into world of drag and gender issues and all of that stuff written and there's some really amazing prose in it and there's places where much a lot of grant morrison there's a whole lot of uh so so anyway i think it's worth reading if you're into any of that myriad of things i just meant yeah the other one the autobiography and this ties into my music thing this is an obscure guitarist by the name of kid congo powers kid congo powers has one of the better resumes for indie rock in the world he, i met him a number of years ago back in the 90s he was in a band called congo norvell him and a woman by the name of sally norvell i pitched it to a national magazine small national music magazine. i went to see them in dc i met them after the show i said hey i'm gonna be doing this article if you give me your aids information we can set up an interview and so i was like oh honey here's my number and so he wrote it on an app he it just in terms of the history of music he was a young gay man in the 70s in los angeles young gay hispanic man in the 70s young during the glamour of la hanging out at all clubs that young at clan clubs transitioned into the punk rock movement lived in rock squats with people like pat smear who's now the guitarist and fighters kind of knew everybody in the business had no inclination to be a musician until his friend uh, Jeffrey Pierce handed him a guitar and showed him about open tunings and kind mm-hmm. of learned to play guitar. I mean, one of the things he told me in the interview with him 25 years ago is I have no idea to actually play guitar. I find it to be an interesting thing to make noise with. And, <laughs> but he somehow had a career as a guitarist for the last 45 years. So he, with Jeffrey Lee Pierce, he joined a band called Gun Club. They were touring, whatever. He They meet the Cramps, the rockabilly band the Cramps, who had just lost a guitarist and they hired him. Okay, he just, you know, they happened to be at a bar and they say, hey, we need a guitarist. Can it be you? And it, sure. So he was a cramp for a number of years. He left cramps, went back to gun club, was sitting in a bar with Nick Harvey, who was in Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds at the time. And he's like, hey, we just lost a guitarist. Want to be in the Bad Seeds? So he's in the Bad Seeds for three or four years. So just this amazing career of happened to be sitting with a person who needed a guitarist at the moment. <laughs> but it's this really amazing insight into that world of music, of people who have never been biggest music stars in the world, but people who have long, ongoing, highly influential careers in what is essentially the underground of music in America and just is him knowing everybody. And it's well-written and it's fun. Amazing anecdotes of going to Disneyland with Susie Sue. You know, just fun stuff. So if you're interested in any of that era of music, this is a really great insight to a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Sounds cool. I have a couple of books as well. Novels, and I'm going to do the same thing where I cheat and one of them didn't actually come out this year. It's just that I read it this year. The mm-hmm. other, the other did. So I'll do the, I'll do the older one first because I read it first, and it is called "Such a Fun Age" by Kylie Reed, which I believe actually came out in 2019. It is, it's not a coming of age story, even though the title sounds like it. The girl who is such a fun age is actually like three or four years old. The premise of "Such a Fun Age" is there is a woman who's sort of, she's an adult, she's out of college, but she's sort of drifting about trying to decide what she's going to do for the rest of her life. She's 24, 25. And all of her friends are either starting families or starting longer careers. And she's 23, 24, trying to figure it out. And she is working as a babysitter. She's black and she's working for a white family where she is their babysitter. And one night she takes a little girl to a grocery store and they're just hanging out at the grocery store. And while while they're at the grocery store, a security guard sees a 20-something-year-old black woman with a three-year-old white girl and starts like, well, who, you know, where'd you get that girl from? You know, sort of accosting her as though she's a kidnapper. She's like, I'm her nanny, you know, <laughs> like this. Is, and then the, so then they're like asking the little girl, well, do you know who this woman is? And the little girl's just crying because, you know, she doesn't want to talk to cops. And anyway, story gets filmed and then it becomes,
becomes a much bigger deal to the to her boss, to her white boss, and to her white boyfriend than it is to her. And so it becomes this the story about her as a young black woman being put in a position where the, the white people in her life want to perform their wokeness by sort of defending her cause and then like just make her into the center of like she just does not want the attention of any of this. <laughs> and she keeps and then like she ends up, you know, on the news and everything and they're just like right, they're sort of taking over their life her life to prove how woke they are by, you know, defending her and she's like, I just want this to go away. And then and then like there's lots of drama between all the other characters in the book as they, you know, as this woman just like really wants her life to go back to normal. So that's the first thing that I read that I really enjoyed and wanted to make make a recommendation for, even though it came out a few years ago. And then the other thing I am not finished reading yet, but this is a recommendation from a colleague of mine, friend of mine, Wayne's, a guy I work with at Pitt, Mark Best, is a big horror fan. And I am not a big horror fan, but he has been on me to read this book since it came out early this year. And the book's called The Weight of Blood. It is a young adult novel by Tiffany Jackson. Tiffany D. Jackson. Yeah, I'll tell you about this. No, he is not. I haven't talked to Mark for a while. That just turned up on my radar fairly recently, so it's on my to-be-read okay. list. I'm reading it. I'm about halfway through. So, here's the premise of The Weight of Blood. Have you seen or read Carrie? Because it's Carrie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the impression I got looking at the cover and reading the description. No, it's Carrie. And it's about a young girl named Madison who is in the Carrie role. And instead of being Ki- Carrie being a an allegory using horror as an allegory for, for puberty and womanhood and young womanhood, this is an allegory for it's a passing there. Madison mm-hmm. is a biracial girl who everyone thinks is white and she is and she is masquerading as black and on the beginning of the book rather than having her period and that being what like what sets the thing sets everything in motion instead it rains one day and her hair gets frizzy and that's how and she's been you know four years she's been passing as completely white and straightening her hair every morning and like and like being under constant you know like she lives in a very racist town and one of the very big races is her father her white father and he's like do not let anybody you are never allow your hair to get wet. You are never allow your hair to get wet. You cannot, you know, cannot let anybody know. So she grows up like, you know, believing this. And then one day when she's 17 years old in gym class, like they're running and in gym class, it rains and she's just like, it looks like rain and she doesn't want to go out. But the teacher forces her to go out and, you know, do the laps that they all have to run and her hair gets wet and just becomes an afro. You know, it just frizzes up and Mm -hmm. and that's how, and that's how, and this is like the first chapter of the book. That's how this, that's how the book starts. And it's just a sort of a, it's a look at racism in 21st century America because this book takes place. I don't think it gives a year, but podcasts exist and texting people exist. Yeah. And so it's a modern technology. So it takes place now ish, but it's a look back at, at these kids who are more or less trying to you know, be woke, you know, and live in a post racial America, but still have a lot of sort of ingrained racism of, around the very idea of being biracial. And you know, mm-hmm. it's really, good so far. I'm not, and I'm not done okay, with it. Okay. But I'm far enough into it that I'm willing to recommend it. I'll move that up my list then. And, <laughs> you know, it's different than all of these. I think maybe that's the nice thing about when we get to the books is there it really is totally <laughs> all over the place for all of us. I think we tend to be able to figure out which TV series or which movies we're going to all pick. But when it comes to books, like they really feel like wild cards. So this tends to be my favorite part of the things you missed section. And from last year, I actually quite a few recommendations from things that Mav and Hannah chose for everyone. For me this year, the other book that I really loved was The Merit Portrait by Maggie O'Farrell, who's the author of Hamnet. So this is mm-hmm. her follow-up book. And it is about these 
Lucrezia Medici and the entire book. So Lucrezia Medici is, it's pretty well known that she's mysteriously murdered like pretty early into her marriage. And so you spend the whole book knowing how it's going to end. Like, you know that she is going to be murdered and she knows that she is going to be murdered. So you spend the whole time feeling incredibly uneasy and obviously you know like oh it's not gonna happen yet because I can see how many pages are left in this book but there is still this like sense of dread or foreboding that for me the most comparable maybe films that that fit are the Steve Carell and Channing Tatum DuPont is a Foxcatcher film in which you know mm-hmm. that you know that Steve Carell as Mr. DuPont is going to shoot Channing Tatum's brother played by Mark Ruffalo because it was a pretty sensationalized news story at the time that it happened you just don't know the events that actually lead up to pushing him to shoot someone right mm-hmm. or it's kind of that same sense of anxiety that I got from watching Spencer or I got from watching Jackie where mm-hmm. it just has that like I've never really experienced that from a book before that that deep mm-hmm. anxiety in which I just keep turning the pages even though I already know what the ending is going to be and mm-hmm. if, if you guys have read Maggie O'Farrell or have read Hamnet she writes in a prose that I feel like I have not really encountered in contemporary fiction before and it is just beautiful it feels like a very different reading experience if that makes sense so that for me felt really immersive in in ways that books usually aren't so that comes highly recommended for me on my list Oh, I guess we transition pretty naturally to comics. Uh, I, as I've said the last couple of years, I'm not working at the store. I feel out of touch with a lot of what's coming out these days. But the one that really engaged me this year more than anything else is, I believe it's Boom Studios, James Tinian, Tinian, I'm not sure how I pronounce his name, called The Nice House on the Lake. Yeah, yeah, I liked it a lot. I've only read the first six issues, came out in a straight paperback. I am told it's a 12-issue series. Number 11 was on the rack last week. Jimmy at the store tells me the trade's coming February or March, so and that should be mm-hmm. the entire series. It, okay, so the premise is a guy by the name of Howard has sent invitations to all of his friends to come to this nice house on the lake for a weekend, long weekend. And these are friends from high school and some friends from college, friends from his adult work life. Some of them know each other. A lot of them are strangers. And they get there and a beautiful house and like everything's provided for them. There's food, all this stuff. And then they are enclosed in what is essentially a force field. They discover that the rest of the world has been destroyed. And Howard is some sort of never revealed alien interdimensional being who has brought them there to save them because they're the people he loved most. Mm. So the outside world may or may not be destroyed. They've seen mm-hmm. evidence of it, but that could be Howard manipulating. And it, you know, it's that, so they're all there, all their needs are taken care of, and they, they start writing lists of things they want, it magically appears. The one guy sitting in his room, there's an action cop number one there. He's just trying to see what Howard will actually do. But then there's this element of loss to it. There are these mysterious statues all around when you go out to explore the area there's this big black building that's like this big square but there are no doors to get into it the statues have symbols on them each one of the people who are in the house have been assigned a role it's what they are in real life there's you know the pianist there's the architect there's the writer and there are symbols that represent them and you start seeing those symbols on the statues so there's this mystery of what is all this stuff there's the mystery of why he actually gathered them there and what is the mystery of what's actually going on out in the world and every issue is begins with some narration by one of the 12 characters. And it's the narration begins. You get that sense, like you see them talking about this is what happened. And you get the sense that, oh, they've been there for years. But then it flashes back to what's going on when they first get there. They discover that they can't harm themselves. One of them, a 
attempt suicide and just heals. So, so there's a mystery to it. Characters I find really engaging. Yeah, th- that grabbed my attention more than any of the other graphic novels or comics I was reading this year. Really intrigued me in terms of types of things I'm into. And let me just say this, James Tinian, he's been writing comics for years. I've done Marvel stuff, I've done MC stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm aware of the name, but off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you anything he wrote prior to this. But boy, the last couple of years, he just kind of exploded. Three of the series I'm most forward to now, the Nice House on the Lake was new this year. He's also the writer of Something is Killing the Children, which is a horror mm-hmm. series that started and four years excellent. ago and is excellent. So. He, yeah, he is the writer of Department of Truth, which is all about conspiracy theories and JFK assassination and Mothman and Area 51 and whatever. But boy, a whole new take on what all that stuff is. Those are the three books I have most enjoyed, the three comics I've most enjoyed reading this year and all by him. And, you know, two years ago, I'd have been like, yeah, he's written some mutant books, right? So, yeah, just suddenly he just kind of boy, found his voice and exploded. So, yeah, I, I recommend mm-hmm. all three of those series really very highly. And I'm really looking forward to the wrap up of Nice House of Blake. Like, I just I can't imagine how they wrap up mysteries of it. Six more issues. So I have a comic recommendation, too. I, I almost didn't do a comic recommendation this year. We usually have some. And Wayne, we've talked about this before, like given who we are, people always expect us to like recommend comics. And I read a lot of them. I'm actually, you know, I was actually mm-hmm. I finished my dissertation this year. So I was like, oh, I can cut down and not read every superhero thing and watch every superhero show. And it's been nice. So now I've just been watching some reading stuff that I really enjoy. And there mm-hmm. are things that, you know, like I like some of the X-Men books. I like, you know, but nothing where I was like, oh, you have to go read this. This is just like some of the stuff yeah. is just for me. I enjoy Tom King's work. So there's a lot of like, he's yeah. in a Supergirl series right now, which has been oh, really okay. good. But, uh, yeah. but, that's not, but that's not what I want to recommend because I'm just like, it's not like when Tom King did like Visions or Mr. Miracle where I was like, you have yeah. to read this. This is not that. Yeah, I liked so, his Adam Strange this year, but it, it didn't blow yes, me away like with some of his other yeah. stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. But there was something that came out originally like three years ago and there's been like one volume, one or two volumes a year for there's there's five volumes in total. And I almost every year I've been like, oh, this might make my top list for the end for the end of the year. And it always gets, you know, I always bump it for something else. And then the final volume came out this year. And I'm like, I'm definitely going to use it. And it is the book Swing by Matt Hawkins. And I am not a fan of anything else in this universe it came to prominent prominence with a book called Thunstone, which was originally made oh, yeah. for um yeah. for online and it's all about bdsm culture and everything and yep. it's interesting but i didn't love it like, eh, i mean I'm, it was one of those things where i was like i'm glad this exists as someone who's into like you know comics and sex and portrayals of gender and sexuality and kink and media so like i you know i cared about it but not enough to where i was like ever going to super be into it swing is excellent swing is the story of a couple who get married in college at like 19-ish when he was her first boyfriend and he'd only slept with one other person and they get pregnant so they get married and then time goes by they have a couple of kids and now they're in their late 20s and they're like oh well we need to spice up our marriage and they just they um, lark decide to start like do they want to like get into acrobatics <laughs> yes yeah. no that <laughs> would be excellent but they want, to, inside, they want to get into swinging and it's so good because they're, it, the first issue is all about apprehension and then there's questions of does this affect their marriage in negative ways in positive ways there's you know how you know can we keep this from our family should we keep this from our family um, they start comparing and it's a, it's an exploration of ethical non-monogamy and the series takes place over the course of about 10 years like it's you know 
gradual. Like there's a point where, okay, well, what if we, you know, what if she gets pregnant? Do we want to have another kid? How does this affect our lifestyle? And are we just having sex with other people or is it, or do feelings get involved? You know, are there relationships? And it is really good and just sort of a, I mean, it's, it is a exploration of relationships that happens to be about sex, but isn't really about sex. So it is a very frank, you know, sex positive, ethical non-monogamy book. And it's a swing and it's excellent. And it's a, and it's also much like many of the other things on my list, since the characters are, it's a white guy and an Asian woman who are married. So there's a question of classic clashing cultures and who is more accepting of it. Is there racism involved? What is, and you know, there's a lot that goes into it and just sort of a, you know, dealing with culture clash and expectations of what does it mean to be married in her community versus his community. And it's really good. So I, so there's five volumes and I highly recommend Okay. We're running way long. I want to touch music briefly because yeah. people expect that of me. Although I also want to go back and say that I mentioned the Congo, the King Congo Powers autobiography. I didn't mention the title. It's called New Kind of Kick, which was a title cramp song. Anyway, this was a weird year because in our pre-gaming through our text thread, you math says he always discovers music through me or stuff he's never heard of. And that might be true because I have a couple things I'm going to mention, but this was a weird year for me. I didn't find that one new band that I obsessed over for months. Mm-hmm. That, that happens to me all the time. And there just, there wasn't thing this year. So it feels like I've listened to a lot of music. I've a lot of, listened to a lot of bands. Nothing just really, really grabbed me. So I'm going to make four very quick recommendations and two of them are just purely personal. One is there was, one of them was a new album by the Pixies. I can't tell you how important the Pixies were to me 30 years ago. Uh, saw them live. Got to interview Frank Black for an article, phone interview with him to connections here in Pittsburgh. He knows. Had drinks with him at the Squirrel Cage, which I know Mav is aware of. Uh, oh, bar. That's a bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> drinks with the lead singer of the Pixies there once a long time ago. And, you know, yeah, and they have continued to put out albums. They replaced Kim Deal on bass a number of years ago. And the new bassist has now been on as many albums with them as Kim Deal was originally. But everybody will always think of her as the new bass player. You know, no matter what. But the new album is called Doggerel. And I, after listening to it, I went and listened to the last three or four. I had listened to all of them through Spotify when they came out. And like they were Pixies album. Doggerel did really grab something about it. Like this feels like Pixies. Maybe I was just the right friend of mine. So if you're an old Pixies head, listen to Doggerel. If you've never listened to Pixies, go back and listen to Surfer Rosa or Duke Little. So there's that. The two purely personal ones are local bands here in Pittsburgh that are available on Spotify. One of them is a former student of mine, Indigo. Hi, Indigo. She's in a band called Some Faith. That is her and one other guy. He is basically creating beats and loops and music on GarageBand on his Mac. And that sounds more dismissive than I mean it because he's really good at it. Mm-hmm. And she's singing some wonderful, ethereal, cool, goth-like lyrics over that. And they're looping her voice and layering it and whatever. And it's not the type of thing I think, think that I'm into very much. And maybe it's just because I'm tremendously fond of Indigo. I like this stuff a lot. They have two EPs that are well worth mm. listening to. Band is Some Faith. Okay. The other is my friend, Bonnie Ramone, who appears met her through the stores, customer at the store. Bonnie's in a band called Bonnie and the Mere Mortals. And they would be perfect soundtrack to this country noir star sh- show we're going to do. They're doing goth country. You know, she'll cover pure tunes on a banjo. They, so Bonnie and the Mere Mortals, really well done, weird goth country kind of stuff. So, And that's just purely personal. I know these people. I want to hype up. The last one, I may have mentioned this last year, a band from the 80s. It's one of my all-time favorite bands that nobody's ever heard of called The Jazz Butcher. You have 15 albums or so <laughs> starting in the early 80s. And I probably mentioned him last year because the lead singer, the main guy, The Jazz Butcher was Pat Fish, one guy, and whoever happened to be in his band at any given point. There were some consistent members over the years, but it was essentially him. And he passed away unexpectedly last fall. So I probably mentioned him in passing then. What mm-hmm. I didn't know when we did the show 
last year is he had recorded an album that dropped in March last year. So it was this wonderful little unexpected parting gift of a hmm. last album by this guy. So look up the Jazz Butcher. I, I, just, it, I'm a long-term fan. I don't know how to describe his music. There are parts of him that swerve toward novelty band because he does songs about goldfish and kittens and Bigfoot and, and a lot of songs about drinking. But he also does some yeah. beautiful, what he calls art misery songs, some beautiful love songs and some hard rock songs. He's just so all over the map. I don't have a lot of tolerance for bands that are purely novelty bands, but somehow his songs about elephants strike word. But uh, say it, it just that's probably the album too I listened to the most last year because it was so unexpected. And we hadn't had brand new music for him in seven or eight years. So it was a nice parting gift. So that's where I am with music this year. So that's our list, which is, you know, I want to know what people like or don't like. I've had people come and say, oh, well, I did check that out. So hopefully we gave people things to check out. I have things to check out. So that's something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. It's a useful show for me. Yeah, purely self-serving. Yeah, there's definitely stuff yeah. here. <laughs> but once again, to I mean, thank you guys. First of all, I just like to say this every year, but doing this show and my other show, which I love that, like, I just get to, like, you know, hang out with friends and, like, sort of do these things. <laughs> it's just like, because these are the kinds of conversations that I like having anyway. And, you know, like, so, you know, the four of you plus Hannah plus Anna and Andrew from the other show and all of our guests on both Vox yeah. and Gosh Golly Wow. Like, I just, I love that, like, part of my life is to, be, is to just sit here and have these conversations. And the, the fact that there are people who download them and listen to them is weird. But I'm still mind boggling. Yeah, five years into it, people are still listening. It's amazing. Yeah, so. so thank you. But thank you to everybody listening. Thank you to you guys. I love you for doing this with me. Yeah. And I am looking forward to next week for doing a box office show. And, you know, so hopefully God, I'll have to look at the list of the movies, at least by the day we do that. I, I will just, be looking no. at it roughly the minute before the episode. <laughs> and that is only, frankly, if someone sends me the list. Yeah, Matt, actually, if, if you have a good link to a source of that uh, uh, stuff, send that in the chat. You should ask the draft commissioner. She's right there. I give it to you. I don't know what you do. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yes, I'd happily do that. But anyway, so tune in next week to see. I don't know if there will be a, a call for comments uh, because, I mean, if it's the same show every year, you know, but like next week will be our box office draft where you hear us preview all the major films for 2023 and you get to hear great insight from Katya who has never heard of most of them which is <laughs> which makes that show amazing <laughs> but also we will we'll do some more just wishing for cocaine bear which you know yeah, yeah. Like, oh my god yeah. <laughs> so, so. you know my, my one goal for that episode is now going to be I need cocaine bear yeah I want to put LSD cougar <laughs> if I get cocaine bear as one of my picks I'm gonna cry oh I mean it's like, gonna be the ugly I, cry I think it's gonna be first pick whoever gets that first no, pick is gonna get it except if it's me I have to like Wayne because I will be giving my first pick to Barbie movie. Okay. Ooh, so second pick, maybe. Yeah, solid, Barbie movie. Solid. There's a lot of, I mean, next year, so again, previews of next week. There's actually a lot it's of It's kind of like really the Snake Sun, kind of what I'm thinking. Oh, God. Snake Sun Plank was such a good movie. That that might be a, a, you know, let us know in the comments if you'd like us to devote an episode of, you know, we have our sub-series of, is this a good movie? Do we want to devote an episode to Snakes on a Plane? I do. <laughs> oh, we do. I, I am in theme, Snakes on a Plane is a great movie. I enjoy snakes on a plane. <laughs> so anyway, in the meantime, thank 
you to all of you for listening. Yeah. I should do the closeout. We've resolved nothing, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of weird on this episode to do our standard close. But, um, <laughs> this is the only episode where we resolve something because we resolve that you should watch these things. Right. Well, yeah, we yeah. resolve them or yeah. read them or yeah, that sure. a resolution? Yeah, fair okay. enough. It's kind of a resolution. Yeah. <laughs> Give me this one thing, Mav. I guess. I don't know. I mean, now I get to do the really awkward like part of like no one plugging anything because the people who showed yeah. up are I mean Steph you're technically sort of kind of a guest oh Steph, I was gonna make any- your meaning skip me but <laughs> is there anything you want to plug no not really but thank not. you for asking I do appreciate that Monica Marvelous is there anything you want to plug eh, I mean I will hold myself accountable if you give us a five star review and then you cheat at me <laughs> I will tell you facts about inventing Anna that are probably against my NDS <laughs> So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fun. That's something. I mean, Katya, anything you want to do? Are you changing? It's a new year. It's a new year. Like, turn over a new leaf and just maybe you're going to become a person who tweets every day now. Is that like a thing? No. <laughs> I think so. Wait, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, like, yeah. This is now is the time to take to Twitter. I yes. Hate you all. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Come on, come on. Like, that, that's the thing. Everybody should start using Twitter because, like, there's a chance that any of us could be the very last tweet oh, that sure. ever happens. Like, it could shut down any moment and you could be the last tweet. People would be like, oh, Twitter was a trash fire. And then there was this and that girl would make talking about Benny Nana. And we would all be millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> onto the, oh, the internet work. Sure. Anyway, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, all the places always at Chris Maverick. The show is all those same places, if Twitter still exists, at Vox Popcast. And an actual doubt if it will still exist by the time I, this episode Absolutely. <laughs> and if you enjoy the show and we certainly hope you do then please subscribe to us on itunes Stitcher, or spotify wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor leave us a five-star review leave us a five-star review and tweet at monica she'll tell you things about inventing which you know that'd be fun like yeah <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know because you know she hasn't told them to me which is the entire point just ending the silliness now also please subscribe to our blog at www.vodcast.com where you can find out what we're talking about next week or any other week and give us suggestions on what we should on topics we should do on thoughts on you know what movie should we be drafting next week you can leave that thought in the comments on this episode i would like to thank maximilian of thought for music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out i'd once again like to thank everyone for listening all of last year and all of the four years before that or oh my god this is amazing that we've been doing the show this long <laughs> if someone has actually been listening to this since the beginning that does not know us all personally there i kind of want to know oh no does there are exist? yes there are yeah i get tweets sometimes yes yeah but yes thank you all thank you for a great year and we'll see you next time bye thanks thanks everybody Bye. bye